Welcome to the Community Church Podcast. This is the fourth week of our series called Off with the Old. This week, Pastor Mike will be teaching from Ephesians 4, verse 28. If you'd like to take notes, there's a link for that in the show notes. Thanks for joining us, and without further ado, here's Pastor Mike. You know, these past couple Sundays, we've been looking at this incredible passage. And as I mentioned, it's Paul really redefining the concept of morality. So I think for many people, if you were to ask them, what does the Bible teach about morality? Most people would respond with a set of rules. What has a set of rules telling us the things that we can't do? You know, don't kill and don't steal and don't cheat, don't lie, don't get drunk, whatever it would be, whatever set of rules we think it is. But what we've seen in these past few weeks is that the Bible teaches that our core problem isn't just our actions, it's our character. I do sinful things because I have a sinful heart. And, and my sinful actions are only an expression, natural expression of my character. See, if I think about rules, if I think about the actions, then really what I'm doing is that I'm saying, okay, I shouldn't do these things. And what I'm trying to do is hold back and deny something that my heart wants to do. And sooner or later, I'm going to have a weak moment and the real me is going to slip out and I'm going to break the rule. But the problem isn't my self-control. My problem is my character. I don't need more self-control. I need God to change who I am from the inside out. And, and this only happens through a relationship with Jesus. Now, this is an idea that Paul illustrates again throughout here using this picture of clothing. And he's, you know, he says, this in a sense, it's almost like, okay, here's we had this one thing that we had before, and, and you know, it's like, okay, if I put this on, and, and uh, you know, it's like, okay, I can come in today, and I can, man, I'm dressed up. I'm, you know, I've got, I look sharp, right? You know, it's, I can think I look sharp. You don't think I look very sharp. You know, I just, I mean, I'm walking. This might look sharp somewhere, not here. Um, and the thing is, is that we might look at this and say, here in the middle of June, Christmas coat, ugly. You know, the idea is there's certain things that we used to wear that our culture wears, our culture says is, is appropriate. But for a follower of Christ, these no longer fit us. And so what does God call us to do? He calls us to take off what our old lifestyle, Ephesians 4.22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires. In a sense, I need to take this off because I can't put on righteousness until I've taken this off. So I've got to take this off, first of all, and as I take it off, then I realize that it's not just about behavior, but being renewed in the spirit of your minds, letting God change me, and I've taken it off. Now I can put something else on. You know, now if I, you know, decide to put this on or whatever else, now I can put on something else and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and a true righteousness and holiness. See, now this fits. And not only does this fit, but the old thing doesn't fit anymore because I've put on righteousness and suddenly sin no longer fits. It's no longer, it, it, it doesn't work on me anymore. And that's the whole idea. Now, in this picture... What, he's, what we see is that Paul begins it in verses 17 through 24, and then he illustrates it by going to very specific areas throughout, um, you know, the next 25 verses. So we saw two weeks ago that he looks in verse 25 and, and 26, or, and uh, 25, he says, put off falsehood, take lying and take that off, and instead put on the character truthfulness. 26 and 27, we saw last week, take off anger-driven behavior. That's what used to define us. It, it defines our world, but we're to take that off, but instead put on the character of, of forgiveness. Now, this week we see in 28 that he talks about the issue of stealing. And, and, and first he says, let the thief steal no longer. That seems pretty direct. 
But then he seems to, in a sense, break the pattern a little bit. You know, he says, rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, the question is, what is he calling us to put on? You know, up till now, it's been take this off, put this on. And, and it's very obvious, in a sense, there, there, there's an opposite. Take off lying, put on truthfulness. Take off anger-driven behavior, put on forgiveness. And if I put on the character of righteousness, the forgiveness, it gets rid of the old action. So what is the positive character God is calling us to here? What is the righteousness we're to put on? What is the, in a sense, the opposite even, shall we think, about the opposite of stealing? What is the opposite? Is it, it's not just stop stealing. No, there's something there that God is calling us to, and that's what this passage gets into. Now, right off the bat, what seems really obvious is what he's calling us to take off, take off the action of stealing. You know, it's, it's, it seems obvious. We know the Eighth Commandment, you know, shall not steal. Everyone knows stealing is, is wrong. You know, and most people aren't thieves, and they condemn thieves, and we agree with that. But do most people think that stealing is always wrong? Well, we agree that armed robbery or carjacking or breaking and entering is wrong. But are there other kinds of stealing that are maybe not as wrong? See, the fact is that if we look at it, there's a big problem with, with stealing in our culture. And, and I could just show you some stats that really show this to illustrate the point. You know, shoplifting, for example, has become a significant problem, costing over $22 billion a year by estimate. That's $50 million a day. They estimate 500,000 of incidences each day, and that over 10% of Americans regularly shoplift. It's a big problem. But as much as that may be a problem, a far bigger problem is employee theft. If there's $22 billion of, of shoplifting, they estimate that there's $50 billion each year of employee theft, of, of things that people would take. And, uh, and, and a lot of times, it's not just stealing things. It's, you know, it's something that was the office property and sooner or later becomes my property. In fact, one survey showed that 75% uh, of employees admitted that they have sometime, at some time stolen from their employer. And it's not even just even the things that we steal. The biggest problem is actually our time, that we have time that we're being paid for that we don't actually give as work. And somebody actually looked at all the things when you look at intellectual property theft and property theft and, and, and um, time, and, and what they found is that they estimate that in the past, an, an annual year, $994 billion of employee theft. That's an enormous problem. And so from you know, shoplifting to multi-million dollar fraud, fraud to theft problem, here we have a culture where everyone says that stealing is wrong, but yet we're stealing far more than we ever have in our past. In fact, part of the problem even goes further because you have people now arguing, is stealing always wrong? So for example, even this past weekend, unfortunately, there has been some riots and some looting, and it reminds us of some of the riots and looting of a couple years ago. And it literally, there'd be times where gangs would get together and, and storm a store, break the windows, and within minutes, you know, totally clear it out. And there were some people in that context that were actually saying, well, looting really isn't always bad. There was, uh, for example, a book that was written in defense of looting. And, and as much as the book might, you know, say, well, it's really not a big, great seller book, what really is more concerning is that National Public Radio did an interview with the author about this book in defense of looting, recommending the book. So here we have our tax dollars supporting this book that is saying, hey, looting at times isn't always bad. There's a problem. There's a problem here with this culture. 
And it's not only in our culture. Actually, if you look at what, what Paul says here in Ephesians, he's challenging not only for us to look outside, but for us to look inside and the fact that there's also a problem in our church. So we need to remember that Paul is writing this to believers, and he begins by saying, let the thief steal no longer, suggesting or implying that there are some people that are here that are listening to this in the church that are currently stealing. Now, I don't know about you, but that would, I mean, would it surprise you if I walked in and I say, hey, now I realize that there are a lot of you here that are actually thieves and that you're stealing, and God's Word is telling you to stop it. You're like, wait a second, that's, who are you talking to? That's, that's not us. That's not... That's not within the church. Now, here's the problem. It's more of an issue than we would want to admit, even as it was more of an issue in Paul's day than they wanted to admit. Because what happens is that we will readily condemn stealing of big things, but meanwhile, there may be stealing of small things that we really don't consider stealing. I think it's a lot like lying. You know, people will readily say, well, lying is wrong. And of course, if you're lying on a, um, you know, in a, in a court of law or if you're lying on a, in a contract or something like that, well, clearly that's wrong. But when we looked at lying a couple weeks ago, the, what we saw is that most people will say, well, lying is wrong, but when it's about a little thing, it's not really wrong. In fact, on some things, it's not only accepted, it's, it's expected because a little white lie really isn't a lie. And see, the same thing can happen when it comes to the whole issue of stealing. We all agree, you know, that breaking and entering and, and you know, and credit card theft and things like, oh, that, those are wrong. But at the same time, we look at it and we say, there are some little things that really aren't stealing. Let me give you an example. One recent poll showed that 74% of people said, admitted, that taking things from other people were okay if the other person wouldn't miss the object. So basically, it's okay to steal as long as it's not a big thing, as long as it really wouldn't hurt them that much. And that's the problem. We take this and we lower the commandment. We lower the principle. That's what Paul is addressing. I think about in Proverbs 11.1, 1, uh, it says, a false balance is an abomination of the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Now, we might think, well, that was that day where they're buying and selling things, where they're balancing, you know, you know, weighing things. We don't do that. Well, we can be guilty of that same concept. Why? Because we, you know, somebody, when we overcharge something, when you know you can get away with it, when you advertise something on Facebook um, you know, in, uh, Marketplace, and, and you kind of give false advertising, you really don't tell the truth about the project, product because you want to maximize how much you can make. Or we, you know, selling a car, we don't disclose all the information. And, or we use someone else's mistake to get a better deal. You know, it was their mistake. And we might look at that and say, well, that's not wrong. That's legal. That's, well, my friends, the issue isn't legality. The issue is morality. The fact is, there may be some things that are legal, but that aren't right before God. God calls us to a level of honesty that is a far much higher level. Again, I mentioned this a moment ago, but probably one of the biggest areas that we struggle is we can be guilty of stealing our employer's time. Um, the fact is, is that we are paid for that time. We are, he's, he's, and our employer said, okay, we're going to pay you this much for this many hours. But, you know, in a recent survey, it found that on average, the average American says that they spend 20% of their time at work goofing off. So if I'm paid for an eight-hour day, that means that I'm spending almost two hours of that not giving my employer what he's paid me for, but goofing off. And we feel fine with that because that's accepted culturally. That's what the culture wears. But no, my friends, 
we've got to say that's a form of stealing because I'm being paid for something that I'm not giving in return. Or even another example, if I call in on a sick day and I'm not sick and I have extra days and it's a vacation day, everybody does it. Well, let me simply even ask this. If, if you say it's acceptable practice, then call your boss and say, I'm not sick today, but I have extra sick days. I just want to take it as a vacation day. Are you going to do that? And, and if you feel comfortable doing that and they give you that day, then great, because that's expected. But if you don't feel comfortable doing that, then you know it's wrong. And it might be socially justified, but it's wrong before God. Now, I can spend a lot of time going into specific areas, but I want to back up and say, let's, it's not just the action. Because again, God isn't concerned just with what I do. He's concerned about who I am. What's the character behind? The, the character trait that is behind our drive to do these things. You think about it, I think more than anything else, it's, it's greed. And God not only wants us to take off the action of stealing, but the character behind it, which is greed. When you think about the heart that drives stealing, it's this greed. It says, I, I, I want. I want more than I have, and because I want more than I have, therefore I'm justified in, in pursuing it through right means or wrong means. It's ultimately a greed that's rooted in materialism and selfishness. And when I say materialism, it's ultimately this belief that why do I do this? Because I think the means of happiness, the means and source of happiness and security is material things, the stuff I have. And so because I think I need this, therefore I'm going to pursue it. It's, and this is, this is definitely something that drives our American culture, this whole character trait of greed and materialism, so that we hear all the time in our culture, you know, if you just had enough money, if I had enough money, well, then, then I'd be happy. If I had enough money, I'd be secure in life. You know, the old saying, if you, you know, one with die with, dies with the most toys wins. And I'm not sure what you win, but, but that's the value of our culture. And I found this little cartoon that I think it illustrates it well. You know, happiness is right around the corner, so you work harder. It's the rat race, and so you turn the corner. Well, happiness is around the next corner. Just earn more money. Happiness is around the next corner. Buy more things. You know, just happiness is around the next corner. Keep going. And that's the value of our culture. This idea that, that this will pr pr bring fulfillment, this will bring contentment, so we pursue that, we keep going, and it never quite, we never quite arrive. This isn't an old, or this isn't a new lie, it's, it's as old as human history. In fact, you see warnings thousands of years ago. The book of Ecclesiastes says this, he who loves money will never be satisfied with money, nor will he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. The person that's looking for, that loves, that is looking for satisfaction, fulfillment, uh, um, and a sense of security from wealth, it's never going to provide. It's always going to be around the corner. It's going to be this vanity, this bubble that pops, as we talked about a few weeks ago. Why? It tells us in the next verse. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Basically, if you're looking for this, what happens as soon as you say, I need this to be happy, and you get it, does it make you happy? No. Suddenly, you need something a little bit more. You always, it's always, it never delivers. It's always around the corner, and it's always something a little bit more. You know, and we see this even in our culture, the people that have all the things, you know, they're not happy. Their lives are often broken. See, what happens, though, is that it breaks us for other reasons. Because when we think that it's money or things that will bring us a satisfaction and fulfillment, our life becomes defined by the pursuit of things, 
And therefore, we will use other things. Specifically, we will use and abuse people to get things. That's what stealing is about. It's saying, I think that I need these things to be happy, and therefore, I'm willing to use and abuse other people. I'm willing to go around the rules to be able to get the things that I think that I need. And here's where you need to realize that, again, this is not just about a moral law. It's not just saying, okay, here's what we need to do. It's teaching fundamental truths that are an expression of the way that we're created. You see, the fact of the matter is that if I think that things are going to bring me satisfaction and contentment, that's, that's a lie. God has created us ultimately to be satisfied and fulfilled in Him. And ultimately, you know, when we pursue these things, our life will, will never work. Let me even illustrate it by experience, all right? Um, it's not just about wealth. Think about someone who's greedy. Now, it might be someone who thinks about money, somebody who, but it might not be money, it's, it's getting ahead. It's that person that's always trying to get ahead, that's stepping on other people, that is trying to get things, that's always manipulating. Can you think of that person that you would define as greedy? Most of us can't. All right, now let's go around and we can name them by name. And no, no, we're not going to do that. And it's just, um, now, here's what I want you to think. You got that picture of that pet person in your mind. Are they happy? Are they content? Do they have the life that you would want to pursue? And I know, I know the answer. The answer is no. No. All their pursuit of things doesn't make them happy. It probably makes them, as they use and abuse people to get things, it makes them grouchy. It makes them nasty people. And it leads to discontentment and brokenness. Now, this is something that we know not only in the church context. Our culture knows it. Now, last week, we talked about, you know, the, uh, the whole picture of, a, of a, the illustration of, of Louis Sambrini and... and and military, so this week I wore the Christmas coat, so let's go to a Christmas illustration. Okay, every year when Christmas comes, we have stories. Can you think of a story at Christmas time about someone who's greedy? Yeah, Scrooge, yeah, it all comes to mind. Ebenezer Scrooge. Here's a guy that's incredibly greedy, and okay, what do you think of Scrooge? He is, he is miserable. Now, you might say, well, this is about stealing. He didn't steal. Okay, did he? He uses and abuses people to get things. Even so, for example, a guy like Bob Cratchit, where he really doesn't pay him what he's worth, he's really, in a sense, stealing as an employer from his employee. And not only that, but you see him manipulating people, and you see in that manipulation of people and things to get stuff, the guy is miserable. And this story makes sense. We show it every year, and everybody connects to it. Why? Because we know that greedy people like Scrooge are miserable like Scrooge. We know that's true. So let's say, okay, what, what do we do? If we're to take off greed, what is the opposite? What is the, the truth, the character that God has called us to put on? Now, this is the part that is seemingly a little less direct because, again, we saw, you know, take off, you know, lying, put on truthfulness, and, and take off anger-driven behavior, put on forgiveness. What does he say? Let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in his need. Now, the first thing he calls us to put on is the action of work, specifically work that he says is good. Now, you might say, what's the relationship between work and stealing? Now, part of the answer is kind of obvious. It's, you know, and then part of it is something we have to actually dig deeper to really see. And there's two aspects to it, because there are, in a sense, two purposes of work. The Bible teaches this idea. Now, the first purpose and the connection to stealing is kind of the obvious one. 
When you think of why we work, most people would say we work to get an income. We work to provide our needs. That we, that we, it's a responsible way of providing for, for meeting our own needs. And it's you know, providing for ourselves. And, and in a sense, here's the connection. Not only if I work, do I not need to steal because I'm providing for my needs, but even if I work, I learn the value of material possessions. So I don't want people to steal from me because I know I had to work to earn those things. And so I realize that other people have things they had to learn work to earn. And so I understand the value of their possessions as well. And so the Bible teaches this. And actually, you know, you take, for example, Proverbs 13, 4. It talks about the value of working for income. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. We work hard so that we get income. That's a good thing. However, if we stop there, it's not only incomplete, but we'll come to a wrong understanding of work. Why? Because if we stop there, then work is a necessary evil in the pursuit of the greater good of of wealth, of acquiring stuff. Now, that's the way that most of our culture sees work. It's just this necessary evil. You know, so I think of back in the old 80s songs, for those that might remember, it's still, you, you might hear it in an old place, like, everybody works, working for the weekend. You know, we're working for the weekend so that we can just get there and we can actually go then spend and do the stuff that we're really made to do. Or we're working for retirement so that we can actually, you know, then enjoy life and we don't have to work. Or you see all these surveys, what's the first thing you'll do if you win the lottery? I would quit my job because the only reason that I'm working is to earn income. That's the value in our culture. And there are many, some even in the church, that think that's what the Bible teaches. See, there are some that will look at the Bible and they'll say, no, well, you know, work is cursed. Don't you know, the, you know, work is cursed. And, and so it's a necessary evil that we have to do to provide. Now, that's not what the Bible teaches. We're going to see what the Bible teaches in a minute. But let me start by going back to verse 28. Let me put it up here and show you something. It says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. When it says work, we're not only to do work, but honest work. And I I think the word honest here that it uses in this translation isn't the best translation. Let me actually give you a most literal translation of this part of the verse as I can. Let the thief no longer steal, but instead let him labor doing work with his own hands, doing good. And the word there, good, which, which in the SV is honest, is actually the word, Greek word is agathos. It is almost always translated as good, and it has the idea of being morally good or something that is beneficial. Now, here's why this is important. See, if we look at it, we say saying that we should realize that work isn't a necessary evil. Work itself is actually good. It's not just something that is this evil that's good only because of the income that it provides, but it actually is morally and beneficially good in and of itself. If we don't understand this, if we think that it's only about the pursuit of income, it actually feeds into the world's value of materialism. It's this idea that material things are what's most important, and we just work to try to get more stuff. Now, we work to provide, but we've got to realize that it is good in and of itself. This is actually building on an idea that's, that's often referred to as the cultural mandate. This cultural mandate is something that goes all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2, the very beginning of creation, why we're created, why God put us on this earth, what God wants us to do. See, all the way back in Genesis 1, 
You see, in the very beginning of creation, God creates Adam and Eve. He creates mankind, and he puts them in the garden, and he gives this first command. He says, okay, uh, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply. When he says subdue it, it has the idea, care for it, tend it, you know, nurture the earth. Then in a sense that even environmentalism, we're called to this idea of nurturing the earth, caring for it. Then now what's it look like? Well, then the, the first explanation is you go to chapter 2. He then goes and he talks about creating the Garden of Eden. And then we read in chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Now, let me ask you a question. This is Genesis 2:15. Is this before or after the curse? Before or after the fall? It's before. The fall is in Genesis 3. The curse is in Genesis 3. So God didn't give work because of the curse. It's not, you know, the curse, now you have to work. No, God gave us work before the curse. This is part of God's perfect creation. It's part of what God wants us ideally to do. Now, in Genesis 3, the circumstances or the environment of work is cursed. So now we have thorns and thistles, so it's painful in ways that it wasn't intended to be. But work itself is actually good, morally good. Now, what this means is that we shouldn't see work merely as a means of getting stuff. It isn't just about, you know, what we have to do to get money, but there's a sense that God has called us to work, and each one of us called us to, in a sense, tend the garden in a particular field, making the world better. Our work, literally, is a way of serving God and serving the world, no matter what you do. You know, so as long as it's morally acceptable, if you're doing something in a drug dealing, well, then, then we got to change your work. You know, but if it's something, you know, you look at that and you say, anything else, you look at this. Now, this is something, again, a lot of us don't get. And churches sometimes, you, you may have been in a church where you've heard wrong teaching on this. I, I, I have been. I remember being at a church where you had people talking about the importance of ministry and calling people to give their life to Christian ministry and have altar calls to have people commit their lives to, you know, to serve God and ministry as a pastor or a teacher. And, and that's really unbiblical. Now, obviously, I believe in full-time ministry. I am. I'm a pastor. I think it's a good thing. To do. It's a wonderful call. But my call as a pastor is not more sacred or holy than your call in whatever you do. I am called to serve God. You are called to serve God in different ways. And what you do is sacred before God because what you do represents God and the world. What you do brings his grace into his world that makes it a little more beautiful. It makes it work a little better. You might be selling something. Well, if you're selling that, it's helping. And I think about my family and all, you know, my you know, five siblings, all what they do is valuable and holy and sacred before God. They're all influencing the world in distinctive ways that are beautiful. And every one of their calling is just as sacred as mine. We're all called to ministry. We're all called to represent Christ where we're at. And your secular, you know, sacred job is just as sacred before God as mine is as a pastor. Now, if you have any question about this, okay, let's give you the, you know, the ultimate example. Think about Jesus. All right. God, in the second person, took on human flesh, was here for 33 years. Three years he was in teaching ministry. Probably 17 from the time he was 13. He came and worked with his dad as, a, as a, um, an apprentice to the time he was 30. He was a carpenter. Was what he did in the last three years more sacred than what he did in 17 years? 
God in human flesh spent 17 years as a carpenter, and, and God the Father was just as pleased with him and what he did then as what he did in his, in his earthly ministry, his teaching ministry. And he was telling us, even by his example, that, that no, I'm serving God. I'm, I'm being faithful to who God is in creation and making the world better by making things as a carpenter. My friends, wherever you're at, God has called you to, to represent him well, and your work is sacred. If Colossians teaches this idea, whoever, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Serve him. This is a, such an important idea. Paul's going to come back to it in Ephesians 6. We'll come do it back then in a couple months. But I want you to see, God calls us to work, not only to get income, but to work in such a way that we recognize that it's intrinsically good and valuable. Not only that, when we put on that, we also then are called to put on this character of other-centered generosity. Let's go back to verse 20, Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Paul's saying, when's a thief not a thief? When he stops stealing? And Paul's saying, no. He's saying, no, it's, it's the thief is not a thief. His character has changed when he's working and he's giving away. He's working to give away. And what he's saying is that ultimately it's an issue of character. Either I have the character of a thief, which is defined by greed, or I have the character of Christ, which is generosity. So that my life is defined by generosity. And I haven't stopped being a thief just when I stopped taking, because as long as I think that my, sat my satisfaction is what I have, I'm going to use and abuse other people to get stuff that I have until I turn it around and I say, no, the ultimate thing is relationship with God. And now suddenly I'm going to, I'm going to now seek to use what I have to serve God and to serve people. See, everything is given to us by God. And, and there's, in a sense, three commands. Steal no longer. And second, rather labor, performing something good in, through work. And, and then let the aim of that labor be not only meeting our needs, but sharing generosity. And there's this progression. Ultimately, we can look at that and we say, well, legally, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, you know, the issue isn't legality. It's, it's morality. It's character. And is our character trait defined by by our pursuit of what we want and what we have, or by sharing. See, it's this revolutionary idea. Why? Because what is a greedy heart? A greedy heart is someone who pursues things and therefore is willing to use and abuse other people in the pursuit of things. What is a generous heart? A generous heart is someone who uses their things to serve God and people. Why? Because the core of the greedy heart is, I think that things will make me happy. The core of a generous heart recognizes, no, God's created me for relationship with him. My deepest needs aren't going to be fulfilled by the promises of the world or the things of the world. My deepest needs are going to be fulfilled when I have relationship with God and when I'm out of that relationship with God serving other people. I think about even the great commandment. The great commandment, somebody comes to Jesus and said, what is the most important commandment? Look at what Jesus said. He said to them, you shall love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He's basically saying, first of all, love God. It's not only love God, that means pursue him. Seek after him as the core of your life, as the thing that you find satisfaction and fulfillment. And that's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. It flows from it. I mean, it's expression. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what happens when I love those things first? When I love God, when I love people, when I find my satisfaction there, then I am thankful for the things that God has given me, but I will use those things 
to serve people, to serve God. Now, ultimately, see, God isn't calling us to do this again just because, well, here's what you should do or here's morally right. He's calling us to do it because it's an expression of the way we're created. So when I love God with all my heart, when I love people with, with, you know, as an expression of that, when I put those first and, and, and things aren't in a place of God, but then I'm using those things to serve other people, I actually find fulfillment, satisfaction, joy. Then I find meaning. See, God wants us to live in such a way that is consistent with his values, and when I do, that leads to blessings. He calls us to give, to give to the church, to give to people around us, not because he needs it, but because it's a recognition of stewardship, of his ownership. It's, it's a recognition of saying that I want to live in a way that honors him. And it's a way of reminding ourselves that, that I don't want to be driven by the world, that, that I'm pursuing these things that will, I think will make me happy, but I'm taking these things and I'm saying, okay, God, I want to use these to serve you because I don't want them to, to control my heart. And when I do that, we find satisfaction, contentment, richness. Look what Paul says about this in 2 Corinthians. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of you must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we're to call to, to give, and if we give sparingly, we receive. If, if we give richly, we, we receive bountifully. Now, some people say it's all about money, and if you give a dollar, you'll get 10. No, that's not what the Bible's teaching because that means, makes money the, the main goal. And so here's how to use your money to get more money. No, my main goal is blessing. My main goal is richness. Now, God may say, if you use money well, I can entrust you with more money. God may do that. He will provide our needs. But ultimately, he says, if you use this well, I'm going to give you riches and bounty, blessings, contentment. You know, again, you know, these blessings aren't just material. It's understanding that I'm not using people to get things. I'm, I'm using my things to serve God and people. And we know that this works. Because again, I asked you a few moments ago, okay, who's that very you know, greedy person? And we can think of someone who's greedy and driven by things. And okay, well, let me ask you, who's the most generous person you can think of? And they might not be wealthy at all. And it may not even be financially wealthy, generous. It may be that person that's always looking to share, making things. And how, let me help you with this. And they're just giving. What are they doing? It's not about, just about money. It's using things to serve God and people. Can you think of that really generous person? Are they happy? Yeah, yeah, I know they are. Because I don't want any generous people that aren't happy. Because generosity, that spirit of generosity, leads us into the blessings of the heart of God. And again, this is something that we not only know in our experience, our culture knows it. You don't, you don't have to hear this in church. We go back to with the Christmas story, the Christmas carol. You have Scrooge, and he was angry, and he, was, and he discovered not the spirit of Christmas, he discovered the spirit of generosity. It was all about using things to, or people to get things. And suddenly he says, I want to use my things to serve people. And he discovered the spirit of generosity and suddenly he's dancing. And he's got joy and suddenly his whole life has changed and gotten so much better. We know that to be true. Why does that story work? Why does it connect with people? Because we know it's true. The culture knows it's true. And the battle is, I, you know, God doesn't need to give us dreams in the dark or, you know, Christmas ghosts of past and present. No, God's just trying to get a hold of our heart and saying, okay, don't look at the problem out there. Look in our own heart. Okay, how is materialism, this greed is snipped, is snuck into our lives? And, and are we using 
you know, people to get things, or do we really understand? It's not just stop doing that. It's saying, okay, what I really need to do is that I need to put on righteousness. I need to put on Christ. The heart and character of Christ, who we're told in Philippians, existed in the very form of God, had everything, and laid it aside that he would take on human flesh to come and be a servant, die for us, that we are loved that way. And for that joy set before him, he did it. And ultimately, even in Christ, he, he gave up everything and found joy. And so we're to have that spirit of Christ to discover that. And I hope and pray that as you search your own heart, let God search. But then also say, God, help me to become that, that person of, of generous joy that has the character of Christ. Let him reshape you. And that is it for this week's message. If you'd like to get in touch, send us a text to 330-644-6121. You can learn more about our events and community groups online at ccpl.life connect. There, you can also send in a prayer request. We would love to pray for you. Have a blessed Lord's Day, and we'll see you next week.